This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, so we're in a series called uh, uh, Formed, and uh, we're looking at, the last two weeks we're looking at loves, what you love, and um, we're looking about how we can become more like him, and, uh, and last week we looked at how we're formed and defined and directed, is shaped much more by our hearts than by our thoughts, uh, that the center of the human person is, is, is what, the, what the Bible calls your heart, not that sh- not muscle, but actually the, the, the heart, the center, the driving, defining center of who you are, uh, uh, rather than, than our head. And, and we concluded that you can't, you can't kind of think your way to Christ-likeness, uh, just knowing more information and knowing that more knowledge, you can't think your way to Christ-likeness, that we need to realign the, the compass of our hearts away from our disordered loves towards uh, the truth of Jesus. That was last week. You say, well, if, why didn't you do that in one minute last week? And we could have all gone on early. Okay, anyway, so, so this morning, it's kind of carrying on. It's kind of hop, step, and jump from that. My title this morning is You Become What You Worship. You become what you worship. The first point is everybody worships. Um, passage this morning, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm not going to dig around the passage, but just to, to let it speak for itself. We all who with unveiled faces reflect or contemplate or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed or changed or formed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Father, just pray as, as we look at how we're formed by our loves and our worship. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd help, to help us to understand kind of how we think and how we work and how our heart works. And I pray, Lord, that we would find ourselves saying that thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for how worship shapes us and transforms us, Lord. Thank you. It's so much more than just attending and ticking a box. Lord, that you're doing heart work with us. And I pray, do heart work with us this morning, even as we listen, as we're together this morning. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So you might not see yourself primarily as a worshipper. You might not see yourself in that way. You might not describe yourself that way. You might think worship is something you do for 25 minutes or an hour and a an hour and a bit, if you consider this bit that I'm doing worship, if you don't, then it's 25 minutes when we're singing, and, and you might say, well, that's what we do, we're going to do that on occasional Sunday mornings, and that's, that's the little slot called worship, uh, and I'm not really a worshipper, but actually the truth is, at heart you are. What if the, the default condition of the human heart is worship? What if every desire, every longing, every act of love is worship? And there's a few quotes in this, uh, this morning that I've used before, and I do that because actually repetition is not a bad thing, and part of what we're talking about is, is repetition. And Secular novelist uh, David Foster Wallace, who actually committed suicide, so he was really, really searching for kind of what's life all about and, and what's the purpose and meaning of, of, of life, spoke these words to a graduating class at, at Kenyon College in, in, in New York State. And he's basically they're a bunch of 18, 19, <coughs> 20-year-olds, not sure, 21, not sure. 
but he's, uh, they're graduating uh, from this college, and, and he says this. I'll, I'll give you the first bit, and then we'll jump into it again later. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. You have a natural inclination to worship things. You, you have a natural inclination to praise and delight in some kind of stuff. You know, I watched the Champions League last night. Um, yeah, some people, there was a, a lot of worship going on there, wasn't there? You might not call it that, but there's a lot of worship going on there. Uh, you know, the, the fan park with 50,000 Liverpool fans. Yeah, and they, they'd come to worship, hadn't they? You know, they, they might not think, they thought, oh, I'd come to watch a football match, but the way they, that would they respond, and, and believe me, I, I, I fall into that category. I was delighted my team stayed up last week. Um, I won't mention it again, but anyway, there we go. We're kind of worshippers, and, and, the, and the thing is that, that we're all hungry to give ourselves to, to something that will ultimately satisfy, that, that we, we kind of long for it and we worship it. You know, my football team was calling their manager God or the Messiah, you know, there's a sense where we think, oh, I'm an atheist, but the reality is, no, nobody's an atheist. Everybody has a God that they focus on and that they worship. And, and the, 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 the longing of the world is, is to find that thing, that, that, that one, that person that, 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 that we can truly give ourselves to that doesn't eat us alive. And, and so, you know, the world rightly ordered, our, our love's rightly ordered, we end up worshipping God, but, uh, but our, our love's disordered or focused in the wrong direction. We end up worshipping all sorts of things that leave us empty. So the first thing is you, you, you are a worshipper, whether you, you like it or not. And if you're not a believer this morning, you're a worshipper. And if you've been coming to this church since it started 12 years ago, you are a worshipper. If you've been a Christian a long time or a few little bits, you are a worshipper. The question is, what are you worshipping? The second thing I would say, and which is a bit of recap from last time, is you worship what you love. You worship what you love. James K.A. Smith, in the book of the same title, You Worship What You Love, says, to be human is to be animated. That doesn't mean cartoon character. What it means is to be moved or to kind of to have some sense of movement or, or focused, orientated, like a compass, like we spoke last week, by some vision of the good life, some image of satisfaction and happiness and flourishing. And we want that. We crave it, we desire it, we worship it. And this is why our most fundamental mode of orientation to the world is love. We're orientated by our longings, directed by our desires, moved by our loves. Now I'm going to ask you a question. So okay, I want you to close your eyes, don't get ahead Rico now. I want you to close your eyes and think what does the good life look like? Just go there. Don't... Kind of just let your heart tell your mind this is what the good life looks like. Okay, you done it? Okay, open your eyes. This is what I thought of. <laughs> oh dear. You know, the vast beach, beach prom- property, the infinity pool, the white sand, the, blue, the beach, and the turquoise sea. And of course, my family are with me. You know, I'm not so shallow. My family are with me. I don't know what you thought of. I'm not going to ask you what you thought of. Uh, but, but in one sense, why did I think of that? I mean, as a Christian, I should have sort of thought of something else. Does anyone want to just kind of help what we should have thought of? 
Let's, let's just, just help everyone think, oh, it's my words, he's, he's preaching about property beachfronts. What should we have thought about? Being like Jesus, shouldn't we? Or being like some way of living for Jesus. We should have thought that, but we don't, do we? Did anybody? No, you don't know. <laughs> you think of other things, don't you? You think of other things. And, and as you, you as, why did we get, where did I get that vision of, ah, oh, if, if I had that, my life would be full? You know, if I had that, my life would be full. If I had that, my life would be full. Where, where do we get that from? I didn't kind of wake up in the morning, you know, one time and think, aha, I'm going to be a materialist. Has anyone done that? Has anyone woke up and thought, aha, I'm going to be a materialist. What I need is that. Or nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to be a consumer. That's what's going to drive me. I'm going to be a consumer. No, no, nobody thinks that. Does. Somewhere you've been taught that. I've been taught by a thousand pictures and movies and adverts over the year uh, that as I've swam in the waters of our culture, the materialistic waters of our culture, that if I had that, I'd be happy, yeah? And who wouldn't like that? You would, wouldn't you? None of you saying, don't be ridiculous, I'm not interested in that at all. You know? I'll sell it and give the money and buy a building for God first. <laughs> don't be silly. Yes, you know, and, and the thing is that, that we, we are shaped by those things. We're shaped by whatever you feel is the good life, whatever you feel. And, uh, it, it, and they, those things that you think, I want that, they become the default settings of your heart that form you and shape you and that what you worship. Oh, I want Liverpool to win the European Cup for the seventh time. For the 14th time, Real Madrid. You know, then I'll be happy. Yeah, there, there's something there that's, that's shaping you. And the, the, the second thing, and this is a bit of a recap again, is that what you love is formed by your habits. Uh, and we've talked about this, that actually what you love is, 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 is formed by uh, the things you do repeatedly. So it's a bit like a golf swing or, or learning to drive. Does anybody remember what it's like when they couldn't drive? Can, has anybody can't drive yet? <laughs> okay, if you can't drive yet, when you get in a car, you're going to get in the car and you're going to like, oh my word, and you're going to like, oh, which foot is it? And you're going to lift this foot up slowly and it's going to burp forward. You know what I mean? You're trying to steer around the corner and you're going to do all this. And it's all very, very conscious, isn't it? Yeah? You know what I mean? And, and you can do that. But actually, when you get to, to kind of an old geezer like me, you can, you, can, you can drive to London and not even thought for one minute about driving. You, you, it's just there, isn't it? It's just been wired into you. And, it, and, and, and actually, the, the, the learning to, to be the kind of person you are is much more like driving. It's something that's just done so repeatedly, you don't even have to think about it. It's what comes out of you. You know, I'm shocked sometimes what comes out of me when, when I play golf. Yeah? Well, let's not even go there. I had to confess it in my three, my first thing. I just said to the guy, just help me. You know, I, I'm surprised what comes out of me. Not the good golf swing, but there's something in there that, that comes out of me that I think, why am I like that? Why, what's been mad? And I was talking to some people on Friday and think, I'm just, why? Because I can't cope with failure. I hit the ball in the grass and I, rah, what am I like? I think, Where does that come from? Something has wired my heart over years. This is a, a quote we've used often, but I think it's great. I used it last week. The crucible of our formation is the anonymous, anonymous monotony of our daily moments. That it wires from the core to see our world in a certain way and to desire certain things. It means the habits and patterns of our lives shape the, the, the desires of our lives, which in turn shape the directions of our lives. And um, 
She calls Tish Warren, that actually is from a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Who feels excited about liturgy? Who feels like, I love liturgy? You know what liturgy is? Does anyone know what liturgy is? Want to define it for me? Habits and practices you kind of tend to do in church, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So, like, we all probably think, oh, I hate liturgy. I hate liturgy. The reality is everybody's got a liturgy. Just what is it? You know, it's not like, oh, this church doesn't have a liturgy. We have a liturgy. You know what it is. You know what we do. Every church has got a liturgy. Some's written down, some's not. But you have a liturgy. You have repeated patterns that shape you. And, and so, in one sense, that, that, that misdirected... Patterns and misdirected loves, as she says, creates misdirected lives. But that works the other way, that God-orientated patterns and God-orientated habits shape our desires that way. Which, you know, so I quoted it last week, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. In other words, if you give yourself to that way, you give yourself to that way repeatedly, 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 delight yourself in the Lord, guess what? You become more like him. Andrew Wilson in his book, Spirit and Sacrament, says this. Routines and repeated patterns, liturgy and our worship, we could call them habits, are inevitable. But not just inevitable, they are powerful. Patterns of worship can train us, shape our habits and reorientate our desires. Formative liturgy is the most powerful corporate discipleship tool we have available. Wow. Wow, he goes to a charismatic church that doesn't have any written liturgy. He goes to a church like ours. But he's saying, actually, there's something about the repeated habits of worship that are important. Let's hold that thought and come back to it. So next thing is you become what you worship. Uh, 19th uh, century American philosopher who's come to Mr. Rent a quote, really, if you're ever looking for quotes, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Anyone heard of him? He's Mr. Rent a quote. If you look for a quote, you search, give me a quote on that. Boom, there he is. He's he's obviously Mr. Rent a quote. He says this, it behoves us. That's an old-fashioned word from the 19th century. It means it's the responsibility of all of us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshipping, we're becoming. What we are worshipping, we're becoming. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18, in the verse we read, we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. It's interesting that there's a bit of debate around that passage. You don't quite know what to use for that word reflect or contemplate or behold and actually the NIV has taken out a little phrase that's actually there in the original that says as in a mirror and I thought I thought oh man I don't even know what 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 Paul's trying to say but there's a sense where I thought about it if, if you if you look in a mirror who do you see you see yourself don't you and actually, I think there's an element where we just look at ourselves and we love ourselves. And remember, I did the George Benson. By the way, when I said learning the George Benson thing last week, when I said learning to love yourself, and I did this with a compass, that was the compass spinning, not me doing a dance, by the way. I just wanted to clarify that. Some of you would have thought, I don't remember what it's talking about. one was here last week. But, but kind of, we can, look, we can look at ourselves and look at ourselves and look at ourselves and we just. We end up worshipping, uh, uh, becoming more and more turned in, more and more kind of the worst of ourselves. But actually, Paul is saying that, that actually uh, we're transformed by wo- looking at Jesus. The worship is the tool that God gives us to transform us to, like him. As we focus on glorifying him and his attributes, we become more like him. 
So if we worship God, we develop those traits, forgiveness, tenderness, love, justice, righteousness, purity, kindness, and love. If we reflect on him, we, the infinite God, we become more like him. That's what Paul's saying. He says, as you behold him, as you contemplate him, you're transformed to be in his image. So instead of kind of looking at yourself in a mirror and looking at your life in a mirror and wishing for that, if they, no, I'm going to turn my gaze, my compass, I'm going to look at him and I catch him fully in the face, more and more I'm going to become like him. Greg Beale in his book, We Become What We Worship, says this, what people revere or worship they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. And I thought, I was reading a bit in the book actually, and I don't know if you've ever seen those bits in the book where it says, in the Bible where it says, uh, they're stiff-necked people. Has anyone heard that phrase, Bible phrase? They're stiff-necked people. Or what about that one where it says, uh, they're, uh, they're all, they have eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear? Has anyone heard those phrases? You know, even Jesus says, you know, you, you always, I'm all, always, speak, always listening, but never, always speaking, but never li- hearing, whatever. I don't know, I've messed it up, but always looking, but never seeing. Sorry. Always listening, but never hearing. You know, the idea. Where does that come from? I never really realized. But actually, it's a description of idols. It's a description of Old Testament idols, idols in, in, the, in the Bible. So if, you, if ever you've been chased by a bunch of cows, we were chased, I, I want to say that because I've got deep trauma. There's some cows by uh, St. Philip's, Ch- St. Peter's Church in Leckhampton, and I was chased, and our dog was chased, and our dog head off down the street, and we were like, anyway, I had to come and rescue Naomi. I got this big stick, and I was checking at the cows. I'm going to, like, they're coming to us. All these cows. I mean, can you pray for me afterwards? <laughs> you don't feel very sympathetic. You think, get on with the talk. No, but, like, what, the thing about these cows is they're, they don't, they don't, they're kind of like, they don't have a neck. You know, they're very difficult to turn. They don't really turn. They've got the, you know, you have to kind of really scare them and get them to, to turn. And, and, and this idea of stiff-necked people comes from a golden calf. Yeah? Why are you stiff-necked? Because you worship the golden calf and you've become like that. You've become unable to move. You've become stubborn and unmoving. And, if, and how about this, if you think I'm making this up? Psalm 135 verse 15 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. Obviously, if they're making something, they have mouths. The idol have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. They have breath, nor is there breath in their mouths. Then verse 18, Those who make them will be like them, and so will those who trust in them. Now, nobody's got a golden calf in their house, have they? If they have, could you melt it down, give the money to the church? <laughs> no, I'm going to grind it into powder and make you eat it. Uh, biblical reference, no one picked that up at all, did they? All right, never mind. Um, but, you know, the, the, the thing is, we don't have golden calves in our houses, but we do have things in our lives that we say, this, this is the thing. This is the thing. And the more we want it and the more we desire it, even sometimes good things, we become like them. Kathy Keller says this. I've quoted it, I mentioned it last week, but didn't, it says, pull up your desires by the roots and you'll find your idols clinging to them. So I could say, Lord, I really desire a big church. Pull the idol up by the root, what's clinging to it? I want to be affirmed. I want to be successful. I'd like to be a, a minor Christian celebrity. God, you are, hello, are you, I'm telling you things here, and you're just like, you know, oh, did not feel that? 
Steve does. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> you know, you pull up. What do you want? You pull it up. It seems like a good... I want my, I want my kids to be well-educated and rounded and whatever. And you think that's a good thing. But sometimes deep down there might be something else clinging there. I want to be proud of my kids. I want to... I, I want to live my life vicariously through my kids. I, 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 I've got this thing up, you know. Even good things can get out of shape. Tim Keller says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I had that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant, secure. Then I'll be happy. That is the object of your worship. That is the object of your worship. David Foster Wallace, as we, he continues in the quote we started, where he says, if you don't worship anything other than God, it's going to eat you alive. He says this, if you worship money and things, and I've read this before, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing... Lord Jesus. All of you is good. Uh, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid, and you'll feel you'll need even more power over others to f- keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on, and so on. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are the default settings. They're the kind of worship that gradually sl- you slip into day after day. How much money do you need if you worship money? Just a little bit more, said Rockefeller, who was one of the richest men in New York. You know, but if you worship money, you're going to become grasping and greedy. If you worship comfort, you're going to become lazy and self-indulgent. Uh, uh, you'll know ease, but you'll never know purpose. If you worship power... Switch on the, the news at, at 10 o'clock and see people, men of power. You become controlling and manipulative, lying to get hold of power. Power's never happy. It always wants more. You know, you take the Crimea and you want Ukraine. You win the election, the Red Wall, and you kind of hang on to power because it shapes you. Worship pornography, and you become misogynistic and fake and able to form real relationships with real people. And I thought about Gollum, actually. Anyone know who Gollum is? I mean, it's getting out of date, isn't it? Anyone know who Gollum is? There's a picture of Gollum there. Here he is. <laughs> the guy, on, the, the guy on, the, on your right is, what was he called? Schmeagle. You would say Schmeagle. Schmeagle. Yeah, if you watch the films, he finds the ring, doesn't he? Actually, his friend finds the ring. Does anyone know what happens? His friend finds the ring and he wants the ring. He says, give it to us, give it to us. What does he do? Kills him for it, doesn't he? And then a bit later on, you see, you see him in a cave, a dark cave with a ring. Going, they're precious, they're precious. And he's gradually being shaped out of all proportion by worshipping this ring of power. If I had this power. Tolkien was a Christian, eh? He knew what he was writing when he wrote about Smeagol. It's not like, oh, let's make a character about Smeagol that loves this kind of thing that gets all shaped out of shape. What's he writing? He's writing about who? Yes, he's writing about us. 
you know, takes the simple water boatman in this lovely idyllic life and he allows the ring of power to twist him and make him golem, hiding away in the darkness, alone and bitter, twisted and tormented by his cravings and disordered loves. Ultimately clinging to his idol, what happens? He becomes like it and falls into the fire. This is not a talk about hell. But I'm sure if you sat in that pub in the Eagle and Child in Oxford and asked Tolkien what he's writing, he was, yeah. We read this last week. For all the humanity knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave him thanks. They thinking became futile. And their foolish heart became darkened. My precious, my precious. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. What people revere, they resemble for either ruin or restoration. And Paul tells us that that result of disordered loves, of exchanging worship for God for something else, leads to ruin. It is the hard bit, and then we get, it jumps out of here. What does, how does God judge people? If you read that passage in Romans, how does God judge people? He goes on, it says, Therefore, God, is it up there? Read it. Gave them over. He says, you want the ring of power? Fine, have the ring of power. You want to have that? You want to have that thing? My precious, my precious. You want to have that? Okay, God just says, fine, you can have that. We think judgment of of God is sometimes active, but actually sometimes it's passive. It says, do you want that? That's what you're going to get. You chase after wealth and power. Fine, you go there, but it's going to eat you alive and you're going to end up empty. God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful desires or lusts. Furthermore, they did not think it's worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to deprive minds to do what they shouldn't have done. Gollum is not so much, is not so unlike us as we might think, Frodo Baggins. Paul says in Corinthians 10, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Therefore, my friends, flee idolatry. So we've got to worship Jesus, don't we? Have, have I persuaded you a little bit that actually these other things might lead you to the, ring, to the, to, to the kind of fires of Mount Doom? Worship God. The devil took Jesus to the high mountain and showed him all the, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said, all this I will give you. Sounds quite a good deal, doesn't it? Sounds like kind of marketing strategy number one. Yeah? I mean... You, you, you're watching the football, the adverts at halftime, all these things I'll give you. Just give me a small stake on your acre. You know, all these things, hey? You're, all these things I will give you. All these things I'll give you. Slight caveat if you bow down and worship me. Nobody says, okay, I'm going to worship devil here. Yeah, fine, devil. Yeah, I've made a deal. I'm gonna, I mean, Faust does, doesn't he? But most of us don't. But actually... We say, yeah, I'd love the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Jesus isn't falling for that. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Say that together. 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I quoted this last week. James K. Smith says, we don't need some new program or novel formula that solves the problem of discipleship, in other words, of becoming like Jesus. On the contrary, it's ancient. The church's worship is the heart of discipleship. The most potent, charged, transformative sight of the Spirit's heart work is found in the most unlikely places, the church. The formation of the heart is life-encompassing Monday through Saturday practices, the week in, week out of the journey, but it radiates from and is nourished by the Sunday worship life of the congregation gathered around the word and the table. There is no sanctification without the church. And we finished last week by Paul saying, um, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Uh, when Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things above, not those things. And then if you read on, Paul talks about how the gospel changes and gives us a new heart. And then he says this, which is right, quite remarkable if you look at the passage in 3.1. We haven't time to go into it in detail, but he says this. As members of one body, you are called to peace and to be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you Teach and encourage one another with all wisdom through palm, psalms, palms, psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with grace in your heart. What does that sound? Teaching, worship, psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Singing to God, grace in your hearts. What does that sound like? Sounds like this, doesn't it? Paul is saying there's no mystery about how do you set your heart on things above. He's saying now do this. Do this. Oh, come on, that's far too boring. It's not very formative. It doesn't really make a difference. But the fact you're here is huge. The fact you're here is huge. It's not like you get a brownie point for coming. I mean, you do with me, but then I'm very fleshly. But with God, you don't get a brownie point. Actually, what you get is transformation. The transformation. A.W. Tozer says this. I can safely say on the authority of all that's received in the word of God, any man or woman on this earth who's bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Do you want to go for heaven? Hey, this is a little taste of it. Think, oh no, I thought it was a, a beachfront property with turquoise sea and sand. Yeah, maybe it will be, but yeah. But actually what we're going to be doing there is worshipping him. When we've been 10,000 years bright shining of the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise as when we first begun. I mean, you could be bored swimming in the sea. You're not really bored of worshipping him. So what you're doing here is date night. We'll finish with this idea. Date night. Okay? Uh, if, when when Naomi and I, she's, she's not here today, not because I was going to embarrass her, she's actually... But when, when, we were, when we were on, camp, on our marriage counselling that I talked about last time, um, they said, do you have a date night? And I, th- I thought, yeah. And they said, well, you know, is it regular? And I thought, oh yeah, I've got out of the habit a little bit. You know what a date night is, don't you? Yeah? Like, you know, if you're, in a, if you're, if you're married and you're in a, a relationship, you, you have a night where you say, let's just love each other. We used to have two date nights, by the way, a little tip. We had one date night where Naomi could tell me all the things I was doing wrong. And I said, this doesn't really feel like a date night to me. This feels like, I've, you know, I've got to improve with my parenting and I've got to do this. And I, th- I thought, I don't really feel this is like a date night at all. 
And some of you can think church is like that. You come to church and God tells you, well, you're going to be really like Gollum and all these horrible things you've done wrong. But it's, that's not... And so we said, let's have two date nights. One where she could tell me I need to improve my parenting and one where she could feed me and we could feed each other, we could tell each other how great we are. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing the rest of the evening. But, you know, those kind of wonderful things could happen. Sunday's date night. Who are we dating? Come on, give us the answer. Dating. Who are you? You're the church, the bride of Christ. You come to date him. You come to date him. You come to say, I I give you my undivided attention. And he calls us, doesn't he? He calls us to worship and says, come, come. Take he stands away, as it were, I'm going to... Um, this is all extempore now, so it might go wrong. Uh, he, he pulls a chair away and says, come, sit down. He said, I've made a way. He said, can we afford this? He said, I've paid for it all. I've paid for it all. He says, come, take, eat. This is my body. This is my blood. Drug me. He said, I give myself to you. I give myself to you. And we say, Lord, I, I'm sorry I've, I've been gone, but I'm here now. I'm here now. I'm here now and, say, and we say, Jesus, you're just amazing. I just love how you live. I love your, I love everything you say and I love how you deal with people and I love the, your wisdom. I love how you challenge stuff, but yet it's so gentle. I love how you're just so gracious, so kind that you stop and touch a woman. A woman touches you who's been struggling for 12 years bleeding and you just let the power of come. I love the way you reach out and little girl, get up and you raise her from the dead. Jesus, I love how you say, come on, follow me. I love everything about you. And now a date night. That's what we do. That's what we're doing. We've got a little ritual. This is what we do. Sunday by Sunday. I'm nearly finished here. We do a call to worship. Jesus says, come. Come. We read a scripture about Jesus. Why? Because it's about him. You know, we love it on birthdays. I don't know if you do it in your family, if you had a birthday with us. Uh, we love on birthdays to say, let's go around the table and say what we love about... It's always Damaris who says, you know, let's have a birthday and say, what do we love about... Yeah? Do you do that? Yeah, we do. Let's have a Sunday and let's say what we love about Jesus, shall we? Yeah? So read the scripture. This isn't a mosque or a synagogue, is it? It's a, it's a church. We're here as the bride of Christ, so we read about Jesus. Why do we read about Jesus? We say, we're here for you, Jesus. We sing worship. You know, something powerful. Ben, I want to thank you. Five weeks running, is it now, bud? You've been doing a serious shift. Thank you so much. Um, our worship team. Let's, let's thank our worship team, shall we? Why was music invented? Why does God make music? Why did God say there would be a thing called music? Have you ever thought about that? You have. Thank you, Joe. Great. Have you ever thought about that? It's not so Dua Lipa can sing at the Champions League final. That was actually the last time Real Madrid played Liverpool. Anyway. But it's not so that. It's not so we can have music. Levitating. Da, da, da. Yeah. Is that the song? Yeah. Sorry, whatever. I'm looking at Amy. It's, it's not so we can have that. Music's there so we can worship. 
Music's there so we can worship. I don't mean you can't listen to Julep and you've got to listen to, to Hillsong all the time. No, but music's there. Because what does music do? It takes words deeper. It takes words deeper. So when we're singing, it's taking words deeper. It's taking our love deeper. It's reaching beyond this idea of it's just in our head. It's taking words deeper and you're saying, I love you. I love you. We don't sing how much we love you. And, and I, I don't really like Jesus is my boyfriend songs. But hey, I've just said that, and I date night, he's the one we love. You know, I, we tell him we love him. Why do we have prayer and prophecy? Because actually, who wants a relationship with a, with a, a husband that doesn't speak? Yeah, I know some of you might think, yeah, I've got one of them. <laughs> you know, you see these date nights, don't you? The wife's, and the husband's like, checking her football. No, God's not like that. He's not like disinterested, unengaged. He wants to speak. I love the prophetic gifts we've got in church. We've got work to do to, to make sure that we, we hear that. We hear, hear, the, hear the gifts and that we weigh what's been said, but yet we act on it. We're going to start writing down. We talked about it as leaders. We're going to start writing down what people say on Sunday morning because we want to act on it. We had a word last week about God wants to give us life. We had a work, word midweek about God wants to make us a planting of the Lord, wants to make us oaks in his wonderful, fruitful garden. We think, yeah, well, let's take this seriously. We give because our treasure shows where our heart is. I know we don't pass a bucket round, but that's, that's what it's doing. It's shaping us. We greet each other because worship is embodied and it's everyone. We do teaching because we want to reset our thinking because God's story restores we break bread because we want to say that actually it's about him and we need him. We, we, we respond and come forward for prayer because we say, I need you, God. Let me finish with this quote. It's quite random. I probably shouldn't put it in, but I just quite like it. Andrew Wilson, not our Andrew Wilson, but Andrew Wilson's theology says this. If our Sunday meetings are comprised entirely of singing and listening to sermons then there are chances that we'll grow to think spirituality is about primarily about these two things. And from there, it's a relatively small step to st- simply listen to Christian music and sermon downloads. Well, you can do all that without coming, can't you? Listen to Christian music, listen to sermon downloads. But it's not about that, is it, he says. By contrast, if we, inv- if we involve, see how we're doing? Reading. So you could say yes if we got this. Reading, hearing, praying, singing, confessing. Hmm, not so sure. Maybe some work on that. Declaring. Giving. Well, you can answer that one. Eating and drinking. We're more likely to regard those practices as normal aspects of Christian discipleship and bring them into our daily lives. And unsurprisingly, our patterns of worship when, when we are scattered are shaped by the patterns of worship when we're gathered. This hour and a bit, hour and a half on Sunday, is life-transforming. You just come and you think, well, it wasn't life transforming today. But if you keep on doing it, you keep on doing it, it is. You learn to drive, you learn to see the, it becomes natural for you. I don't even think about whether I'd come or not. You think, I come because I'm paid? No, I come because I love him. I come because I want my heart shaped. So when I hit into the grass on Tuesday, I don't think, Argh. I think, no, Jesus, it's not about that bigger
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.